0: Welcome back. It's another another week. Jay, how did we make it another week? You tell me. I don't know. You tell me. Luck, gumption, pluck. Skill. There you go. That's the survival one. Survival skill. <laughs> it is survival of the fittest here at TSN 690. Welcome back to another episode of everybody's favorite show here at the station. The everybody's. Show. Everybody's. Yeah. Well, if not, what's wrong with you? Yeah. There you, have, you go.
1: You have no skill life
0: lacking in pluck and gumption you must be a cowboys fan that's what i say to you wow you must be a cowboys fan
1: I not you certainly not no okay. not you
0: <laughs> no. you're not crazy
1: yeah
0: goodness another ridiculous blowout but an amazing week in the national football league amazing i uh i have not had that much fun watching football on a sunday in a long time it was just every game was just phenomenal
1: when we had our the little snow the snowball uh, Incredible. Is it just me, or do you notice that when it snows and and conditions are so bad on the field that it really brings out um, the very core of what football is? It kind of looks more like a rugby game, doesn't it? It does. It also it it looks almost safer to me.
0: It, it does. Everything I, seems a lot safer. Everything's it, slower. Everything is a lot more deliberate. It if you want to eliminate concussions and violent injuries in the National Football League. Play every game in a blizzard.
1: Play every game in a blizzard and take off the pads and the helmets. Yeah. Well, then then it's rugby. Well, no, not necessarily. With forward keep, passing. Keep the same rules. And because I, I find that when there's elements like that, and I don't know why they only have Super Bowls in hot places, because I would love to see a Super Bowl like that because it really exposes the basics of the game.
0: You really want to?
1: I would love to see a Super Bowl like that. Guess love what? To. You're
0: in luck, Jay.
1: What? The Super Bowl this year is in New Jersey. Yeah, I know, but it might not be snowing like that. They should do that more often. Oh,
0: with better odds than in the Superdome,
1: right? Uh, right. This is this or is, the first, this is yeah. the
0: first one I can remember in the first a long cold time. Weather Super Bowl that's outdoors. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was one in Detroit not that long ago. Right. I right. told you, I always gauge these by uh, the uh, halftime show. So yeah. it's like, oh yeah, there was one in Detroit a while ago. The Stones played. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'll try and do better. With but my, I like it. The, I mean, but I, hopefully, I don't refer to the Super Bowl this year as the one, the Bruno Mars one. Then you know the game really. Stands. The Bruno, isn't it, Bruno Mars? Yeah, but I'm hoping that there will be a game that will prevent me from referring to this year's Super Bowl as the Bruno Mars spectacle. Okay,
1: it's all generic to me. I don't know which one is which. Really? I used to know it by the numbers, and now oh, there's no, been so many. That. Yeah.
0: The numbers and the letters, of course. The mean, numbers, right?
1: yeah, the Roman numerals which now they they're like hiring professors in order well <laughs> what's going to be next year? What is the Roman numeral for what is it next year? 48, 49?
0: What was it Rocky uh Rocky V plus Rocky 2? Adrian's Revenge. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Let's bring in our first guest on a jam-packed wow. Kaufman show tonight and uh, we start off with uh, La Creme de la Creme here. Mr. Dave Zirin, the sports editor of the nation, a contributor to many of the fine publications that you read. And uh, it's an honor to have Dave on tonight to discuss Nelson Mandela. Hello, Dave.
3: Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. How
0: are you?
3: Uh, doing well, doing well.
0: Facebook tells me you're a little burnt out. You just put in your, um, your manuscript for your new book.
3: Yeah, just uh, like I said, I got to remember the names of my kids now. I uh, <laughs> can't really remember them at this point because all I've been doing is working on this book. It's about Brazil, the World Cup, and the Olympics. I don't know anything about Brazil. I know less than nothing about soccer. So I had to learn a lot, read a lot, research a lot, travel to Brazil a lot, and uh, hopefully I came up with something that people will enjoy.
2: Well,
0: it should be a really interesting read, and just watching your, your comments on uh, through social media and in the nation about what's going on in Brazil and what has been done to to the population there and and uh, how the poor have been affected. It's I'm sure it's going to be fantastic.
3: Yeah, nobody's really talking about it nearly enough. It's crazy what's going on there.
0: Well, at least you are, Dave. And uh, what I want to do tonight is I want to talk about Nelson Mandela from a, a side that we don't normally hear about with Nelson Mandela, which is the side that made him the hero and the icon. And, you know, I was 10 years old, Dave, when, when Mandela was released from prison. And my memories of Mandela are are everything since he's been out of jail. I I did not know the name before that. And it's been this this cuddly grandfather-type figure. And that's not Nelson Mandela.
3: No, I mean, what's interesting is that you could really talk about Nelson Mandela's life in uh, two parts. I mean, there was the period of resistance and the period of reconciliation. And that absolutely mirrored his approach to the question of the politics in sports, because Nelson Mandela's entire life, his political life, was about trying to use sports as a way to connect with not just ordinary South Africans, but also with the world. And you saw sort of like the effect of that after his death. Like in my article, I point out Sports Illustrated 24-photo slideshow, Devoted to Mandela in sports, and most of it is just him kind of smiling for the camera, posing with people like Mike Tyson, Don King, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ernie Els, Tiger Woods. So, you know, not not really that interesting, um, but at, the, at all. But what it didn't include pictures of, or have any discussion of, was the fact that Mandela was someone who supported the. Um, the, the, the boycott of South African sports teams under apartheid. He supported the resistance of uh, particularly African American athletes, particularly Muhammad Ali. Uh, he's somebody who took the idea of sports as a vehicle for resistance extremely seriously. And then after the presidency, though, sports became less about resistance for him and more about identity, a certain level of identification of South Africa as a place that could. Both taken digni- athletic dignitaries, but also then, of course, staged the 2010 World Cup, which he was instrumental in bringing to South Africa, which also created a set of conditions on the people of South Africa that were, frankly, pretty brutal.
0: The, uh, of course, the 1995 Rugby World Cup is another iconic moment. Uh, the, you know, rugby was known as this really a white man sport in South Africa. And to see Mandela wearing the Springboks jersey and celebrating with the team. That, I think that did a, a ton for, for I, don't, I don't know if it's for, I want to say for relations, but really, you look at South Africa right now, and that place is so messed up.
3: Well, when I was there, I mean, people were very honest about this, uh, particularly um, people who are involved in the social movements there, uh, athletic or otherwise, and the very common kind of phraseology is, we defeated racial apartheid, we now live under economic apartheid. Yeah. And that it's just the reality of life for a lot of people there. And, I mean, it's one of those things where these were kind of the cards that Nelson Mandela was dealt when he emerged out of prison. Because, remember, South, South Africa, under white apartheid rule, was also cut off from the world economy right? because so many other countries were boycotting it. So part of the celebration of a new open South Africa was the ability to get in tons of foreign investment. Uh, tons of everything from bottling plants to cars, like all these places that uh, did not want to get like a United Nations uh, black mark, pardon the expression, if they were doing business there under white apartheid. Right. But then, of course, you open up the country to foreign business. You're also opening yourselves up to a lot of unintended consequences.
0: Is there a concern, Dave, that if we don't remember who Mandela was and what he fought for and we think of just like I said, that that grandfatherly image that we're doomed to repeat history?
3: Well, I think it's a mistake to not, especially, like right, like a great example of this, and this is just what I'm about to say, is just factual, this is just a fact, is the fact that uh, Shimon Peres, who's sort of like the one of the great retired leaders of Israel in terms of his stature, um, he has put out many, many, many tributes to Mandela since his death, and there's no mention that Peres was part of an operation of selling arms, uh, from Israel to white South Africa, that he, he made those deals happen. Uh, he was responsible for it, uh, and that there was a tremendous political connection between Israel and the white apartheid government. Right, and there was this and, whole
0: proxy Cold War kind of fought over them as well.
3: Exactly, exactly. Like think there were questions about uh, the question of communism, like all, all the stuff was that put South Africa in play. Um, I mean, it's, it's just it's one of those things where that's the sort of stuff I'm nervous about um, kind of like us repeating over and over again.
0: Sure. How about John like McCain this, voting to keep him in jail when he was in Congress?
3: Dick Cheney as well. Um, tarot, that one doesn't I mean, surprise on the me as much. Watch list till 2008 for goodness' sake.
0: Yeah, that's another one that just doesn't make sense. And and you know, so much of the when Mandelax in in his readings and in his autobiography, he talks about the strength he gained uh, in his youth and the resolve he learned from being an amateur boxer. And I find that fascinating. Yeah. And another thing that you mentioned in your story tonight was how. He didn't get much news from the outside for the first, I think, 15 years of his sentence. He was only allowed a letter a month, something along those lines. But he still managed to keep tabs on Ali.
3: Yeah, that was very important to him, not just the Ali in the ring, but the Ali uh, and his own political struggle um, in the United States. I mean, that was hugely influential, hugely important to Mandela. It gave him a sense of, of hope behind bars that he's spoken about. And it's really his photos with Ali. Um And I love the story I heard where Mandela was so thrilled to meet Ali and Ali was so thrilled to learn that Mandela was thrilled to meet Ali, you know, (laughs) they they had like, you know, like, 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 I mean, can you imagine that for a second? Like if this person is being celebrated as a global icon, uh, and I'm talking about Mandela is giddy around you because (laughs) you were his hero when he was behind bars. I mean, it's just like, it just was that they were both just like ping ponging off each other. But, but let me give like an, another example, though, of what I was talking about before. One of the tributes to Mandela was by Pele, the Brazilian soccer legend. And Pele talked about how Mandela had more of an influence on him than anybody in his life. He was his friend. He was his hero. And sure enough, there are all these photos of Pele kissing Mandela's head, the whole grandfather hey. thing again. I mean, you would never know that Pele was an emissary for well, Brazil when it was under military dictatorship, going over to Africa to create ties with countries that, Absolutely, did business with white apartheid South Africa. And Pele, at the height of his fame in those times, where he was being visited, uh, greeted as a foreign dignitary, he wasn't speaking out about apartheid. I mean, in fact, one of the only things that Pele spoke out about in the 1960s was his criticism of Muhammad Ali, and for being too political and all the rest of it. So, uh, and not being patriotic enough. So that that that's when you talk about like the fuzziness with death and and not really knowing who stood where and why, that's when I think we really do get doomed to, to repeat these kinds of things.
0: A couple of minutes left here with uh, Dave Zirin on The Kaufman Show. Please do follow Dave on Twitter at Edge of Sports and uh, read his stuff at The Nation. Uh, Jay Farrar?
1: Dave, uh, getting back to the uh, South African rugby team, um, I always found, and, and it, it may sound, uh, I'll be coming off the wrong way here, but I always found that Mandela really didn't care about the South african rugby team i think it was more right. of the fact that he understood uh, the psychology and the philosophy that if you get everybody focused on one goal they're not going to care about who each other is and, and and i and it's it's always funny that you see and it, that seemed to be that what his goal was was it blurs the lines between races when you get everybody focused on one thing Get them all behind the same purpose, and I always, I always respected him for that.
3: It, that that's a huge part of it. Um, another huge part of it is the incredible symbolic value to see that even though uh, Springbok was very much considered in South Africa as the white sport, right, and yet when they would win the the World Cup, I mean, it would bring obviously national glory. You win the World Rugby Cup, and to have a black leader leading a white event to the rapturous cheers of people both black and white, all of a sudden Mandela isn't the black leader anymore. He's just the leader. And it was very important to make that transition for him in the eyes of the country. Hmm. Like, no, I'm not the leader of now of black South Africa. I'm the leader of all South Africa. I mean, the equivalent would be if uh, if Barack Obama got to say, gentlemen, start your engines at the Daytona 500,
2: <laughs>
3: and and imag- but imagine Obama doing that, like venturing down to NASCAR country and doing it at the biggest race, um, maybe the Winston Cup Finals, whatever. And obviously, I know a lot about NASCAR. Right. I'm talking about it, but how about the Kentucky um,
0: Derby? That, that might be a similar one, right?
3: Well, that's a little upper crusty, though. Like I'm oh, talking yeah. about, like if he's down, if he's like hundred thousand people, Daytona Speedway. And not just him saying, "Gentlemen, start your engines," but imagine like the crowd then rapturously cheering and being like, "That's my president." Yeah, yeah I that was don't think what Mandela pulled off with Springboks.
1: <laughs> yeah,, well, it's, but it, it for me, it was like what Reagan said about I mean, it was, everybody thought it was a ridiculous quote at the time, but what he said was, "If aliens were to attack Earth, countries wouldn't yeah. care about their politics anymore, because they're all focused on one goal." And I think Nelson Mandela knew that as well.
3: No, I think that's that's uh, that's very true, and you could see sometimes where that's a good thing with sports, and sometimes where it could also be really unhealthy because everybody's so busy focused on the one goal, you're not noticing uh, some of what's happening and who's picking your pockets. And I mean, that's where my head is a lot from not just writing about Brazil, but just also thinking about my own experience in South Africa and seeing like little things like the fact that if you were setting up like a vending booth. Even if you'd been setting up that booth for 10, 20 years, up it doesn't have the FIFA brand on it. They're going to not only take it down, but they're going to confiscate your goods. Like things like that were uh, plentiful.
0: Dave, uh, last question for you, and we'll let you go. There's a photo that you posted on Facebook um, earlier in the summer. I guess it was you probably posted the photo when, uh, when Mandela had gotten sick and the, the news didn't look good in, in June or July. And uh, it's a photo of him holding a book that you co wrote, The John Carlos Story. And uh, that's another athlete that Mandela obviously greatly admired. Uh, him and uh, the, the the whole moment in '68 in Mexico City, the the Black Power, the fist raised. And um, can you maybe give us a little bit of background on this photo and tell us how it came about and how it made you feel?
3: I mean, it was just mind blowing. I mean, this is the last couple of years of his life, um, and he wanted about John Carlos, and I think that's amazing that he was still thinking about the politics of sports caring about it, and the way uh, we even got to tell him about the book and get it in his hands is that um, he was close. Like People don't really know the track and field community is very international, and there are tons of African-American track stars and track coaches who work in Africa and on the sub-Saharan African continent. And there, there were folks there who knew one of Mandela's secretaries, who had run track with John, and he said, "Can you just raise it with him? Maybe he'll want to read it." And they're like, "Oh man, really excited to read the book, and he wants to have a photo taken with it uh, for you." So, I mean, obviously that's mind-boggling. Blew me away. The photo itself is something I'll, I'll always treasure. I mean, this was one of the the, the true giants. I mean, maybe in the, in the history of this thing we call politics.
2: Dave,
0: thank you so much for your time tonight. As always, uh, uh, it's a treat to talk to you. My privilege, guys. We'll speak to you soon. Dave Zirin, everybody. Follow him on Twitter at Edge of Sports. How about that, AJ? Great article. Yeah. Check it out at thenation.com. It's, uh, every week, Dave brings it at thenation.com. Mandela's uses of sports, resistance, reconciliation, and rebranding. This is The Kaufman Show. John Kakalakis has a sports update, and we'll be back.
4: I'm yeah. not City. Round about the time a friend of ours, little Steven, was putting together a record of artists against apartheid. It's a song written about a man in a shanty town outside of Johannesburg. A man of sick, looking down the barrel of white South Africa. A man who is at the point where he is ready to take up arms against his oppressor. A man who has lost faith in the peacemakers of the West while they argue and while they fail to support a man like Bishop Tutu and his request for economic sanctions against South Africa bugging you. No means I bug you. Okay, Edge, play the blues.
0: This is the Kauffman Show. We'll be right back.
5: Now, Dave Kaufman hosts The Kaufman Show with Dave Kaufman, but also Jay Farrar. The Kaufman Show,
1: only on TSN 690.
6: I escaped with him in the summer through a lockout. Um, I texted him a couple times. I feel awful. It definitely was not what I, what I wanted to see or anybody wanted to see. What did you hear yeah. Obviously, I made a mistake. Um, I'm aware of it. Um, I, I've been told that uh, we will be having a hearing. And it's hard for me to you know, say much more other than oh my God, It's not my intention. I feel awful. I felt sick all games. time. Sean,
5: so. when so, you see last game, Johnny, go off in the stretcher. And tonight, Louie, take him out in the first uh, first play of the game. It's your first instinct to kind of protect him? don't mess with my don't turn me
0: Welcome back. It's the Kauffman Show on TSN 690. A little Paul Langlois, not guilty, mixed in with uh, Sean Thornton, I'm guilty. Remix. Yeah, yeah. Not quite the DJ Steve Porter version, but you know how we do on the fly. Man, what a night in the NHL on Saturday. Sitting there watching the Habs play the the lowly Sabres. And, uh oh, just in advance of, of waiting to see what Mr. Cherry's about to say. And then... uh Boy, it just all fell apart there, didn't it? In Boston, with Boston. It really Boston-Pittsburgh and three separate events on the ice and then culminating with that horrible moment where um, it wasn't a fight, it was an assault. When, yeah. you, when you slew foot somebody from behind, knock them down and then punch their head into the ice. Yeah. That's just assault. That's not a fight. It doesn't... There it, shouldn't be a debate about fighting. That's the one thing that's... No, it's got nothing to do with days. fighting. Nothing.
1: It's got nothing to do with fighting. Has the I don't know what everybody's talking about.
0: Well, Neil got five games. Yeah. And whatever Thornton gets, it's not going to be enough.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, everybody says, well... Because uh, the first time I saw it, I, I said, well, he hardly touched him. You know? It, it really doesn't look that bad. I mean, it, the, the action looks bad, but the actual impact of his... You know, but when you think about it, yeah, I
0: saw P.J. Stock say the same thing. They were just little punches, and he had his glove on.
1: Yeah, but uh, little known, apparently he had hit his head on the ice, or hit a player on the way down, or something happened to him that knocked him silly. And you have to realize when you grab a guy from behind, from the well, usually when he's on dry land, he's going to stand up straight. But when you're on skates and you don't know that it's coming, right? You go down real quick. Gravity takes a hold real quick. And so that's what people don't understand. Well, he only kind of tugged on him from behind. He's on skates.
0: The conversation seems to be that this all could have been avoided if Orpik had fought him. And that seems to be the most ridiculous. That's, the, that's why fighting should be in the game. And, and that's, wow, is that a crazy excuse.
1: What happened to, it was just a good hit. The the only thing that was there's nothing wrong with the hit. No, it was a clean check. So you shouldn't have. It to was defend. late. It was a little late. So they called it an interference penalty. You shouldn't have to defend. That. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. It's part of the game. If if the, if these players would stop crying over solid hits that are clean, well then we wouldn't have situations like this in the first place. And for anybody who says that the NHL is out of control, it's <laughs> people have very short memories. Well, I find yes,
0: because this happened with Brashear.
1: Oh, this has been happening. Um, I once saw Scott Niedermeyer hit Peter Worrell on the head. Peter Worrell, I remember him. With sure. yeah, with, with a stick, like straight across his head. You mean like um, coming down. You mean like, like
0: Maurice Richard did back in the day.
1: That's right. Except this guy was wearing a helmet. Oh, okay. So it, it he wasn't injured. He was also six foot six, Peter World. So but, you know, I've seen violent things like this happen for years and years and years. The only reason why we see more of it now is because there are three different networks covering every single game, so you see every little thing that happens.
0: Oh, there there have been idiotic moments in all of sports for as long as we can remember. Sure. The point is they need to be regulated. Right. This needs to be enforced. This needs not to be laughed off. This was a very serious issue. And, frankly, the NHL is in... I won't I don't want to call it an epidemic, but it seems like every day there's another concussion. Between yeah. football and hockey right now, it's a bad place.
1: Well, yeah, and we're also seeing concussions much easier now. Now we have the, yeah, well, it's
0: because you're the wearing, medical knowledge and you're wearing
1: you're wearing solid Kevlar. armor. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're wearing bulletproof yeah. armor.
1: Well, I, I don't understand why nobody's talking about James guns. Neal. Why didn't Sean Thorn go after James? He's the guy that should have fought.
0: Well, of course it is.
1: Now, in in that case, I would say, yeah, if you're gonna knee a guy in the head, which he clearly did on purpose, you it's see so him obvious. move, yeah. You see yeah. it. You see not only do you see him move, usually if you hit a guy in the head with your knee and you didn't know that it was happening, you're going to look behind you and see what happened. He didn't. He skated straight for the bench. That, for me, was a smoking gun.
0: No, see, for me, it was him sticking his knee out. It was kind of like, um, oh, goodness, what's his name? Kyle McLaren. Remember him? All those years ago in the playoff game where uh, he elbowed Zednik and knocked him out. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing where you just very nonchalantly. yeah you look out. away
1: right you, you i mean you you know you've got them lined up but you're kind of looking off in the distance and then it kind of gives you a sort of an air of innocence when you do it but when you don't react after you just need a guy wouldn't you if you just need a guy in the head or you need something wouldn't you look behind you after you did it if you didn't know it was happening well he didn't he straight is, he skated straight for the bench well that's the guy who should have been fighting because when i when i talk about fighting i don't like I don't like the staged fights where you get two goons on the ice who can't play hockey. I don't like that, but I do. I, I I believe that fighting when it comes to a case like that, where a guy literally knees your buddy in the in the head.
0: Yeah, but that's not the fight that he chose to uh, to take on.
1: No, and that's I know. He, that's that's why.
0: And if anything, he chose the easier target.
1: Well, the guy with whose back was turned. Yeah, whose back and who doesn't really fight. The defenseman Orpik doesn't fight. The defenseman. Yeah.
0: Versus the thug.
1: Yeah, Orpic doesn't really fight, but I mean, if and you're... I hate
0: using the word thug because it's so,
1: pejorative. yeah, pejorative. It's not. It doesn't. And Thornton's not that bad of. He's he's a decent as far hockey player as as yeah.
0: the guy on your team who's a fighter goes. He's above the yeah. He's Chris he's Neal type that. guy, yeah. you know, or a Chris Nyland type guy,
1: or a Chris Nyland type guy.
0: Yeah, and and there is something about that sport. I've played it. I played it all growing up. Where you lose your mind in certain
1: moments. Sure, you do. You do. Yeah. A little slash on the wrist. And, you know, it kind of, it, kinda, it really gets I, to you.
0: I can, I mean, playing in leagues where you weren't allowed to do very much in the way of hitting or violence and the things that went down because you just, you're in the moment.
1: If anybody should have fought, it should have been Neil.
0: We're not professionals, Jay. These guys are professionals. That's right. And they have, and, and he gave a whole big interview earlier in the week about. How he's such a good guy, and he's maybe even too honorable, and it just all comes across as such BS. And frankly, that little audio clip that we played before, I don't want to call it crocodile tears, but it's its definitely a man in shock and seeing his future being questionable. Mm-hmm. And frankly, a 20-game suspension would not be the best thing for him. I don't know if that would change. I don't know if that makes you come back and play less yeah. with, with less of that. Edge to you. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's all in the moment. I mean, you've got you know twenty thousand screaming fans. They're all on your side. You 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 feel as a guy who's in Thornton's position, like your teammates are looking for you to do something. It Doesn't matter
0: though. It's, it, it doesn't regardless matter. Regardless of but... all of these reasons that we give, it is completely unacceptable. And the whole chain of events is just it. It. it you're right. It's not. It's nothing new, but it highlights everything that's wrong with the National Hockey League. Everything. And on that note, I believe we have our next guest on the line. So let's On change. that note. <laughs> on that note. On that happy, happy note. Let's uh, let's go to Evan Wandsbro out in BC. Evan is the lead singer and founder of the Isotopes. We've had Evan on the show a couple of times. Love his punk brand of baseball music. It's a fantastic mix. Really had wished I'd gotten to that concert last, uh, last spring when they were in Montreal. But have to see them the next time and they're in town. And they've got a new album out. Hello, Evan.
6: Hey, Dave. How's it going? I'm
0: great, man. How are you?
6: Good, good. Also,
0: Jay Farrar. <laughs> nice. Nice. About time someone called us on that. I'm, I'm
1: always a footnote. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry, Jay.
0: I'm sorry. We'll have to make one of those that says, The Goffman Show with Jay Farrar.
1: Yeah. I think
0: that's better. That's better. I like that. <laughs> so what's going on, Evan? This is really cool. You guys have an album coming out.
6: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a compilation CD, uh, a singles comp of all of our uh, previous 7-inch uh, vinyl records that are now out of print and so uh, we got all those tunes remastered and put them on a CD um, due to uh, I guess demand. Um, we were out on tour a lot and people, so there's, there's a lot of people out there, uh, believe it or not, who are into baseball and punk rock who don't own uh, record players. Yeah, shocking, so, eh? Yeah, that's <laughs> as if we had to p- pigeonhole ourselves even further. Right? So, uh,
0: well no it's great. It gives me the opportunity to hear it all. Unfortunately, I have a, probably a hundred records and I don't have a player. so uh, this this was very good for me as well.
2: <laughs>
0: good. good. But uh, yeah, 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 it's I mean it's it's awesome. We're, we're all huge fans of your music and you guys have really developed a massive cult following across North America. Um, how much of that was due to the, your little dalliance with the fan cave?
6: I think um, I think some of it well obviously some of it, but I, I was pretty. Pleased going across and playing places that we'd never played before, and people, um, you know, were coming up to me and saying, Hey, man, I voted for you. Like, what happened? and and stuff like that. So (laughs) it was a pretty rewarding experience. Uh, And I think that there was definitely a lot of uh, positive, um, you know, publicity that came from it.
0: Um, What's going on with touring now? Is there still that question about the states?
6: Yeah, there's a huge question about the states still. Um, I got. I got hit with a five-year ban uh, crossing in Buffalo.
0: Peds, um, man, got to learn your pardon? lesson. I said, "Peds, man, you got to learn your lesson."
6: Exactly. I had a, a bag full of <laughs> that I was <laughs> planning on using. Uh, no, I, I was I was going through fully, um, you know, as a as a tourist, as a guy that was just going down in my normal clothes. We had I had no no like. You know, nothing to tie me to the band, and I was going alone and everything. But they, for whatever reason, looked at the history. They have history of when you've crossed last and stuff, and they they saw that I've been doing some crossing back and forth recently over the summer. And I think uh, they they ended up googling my name, and they found they found what happens when you google my name, which is like a bunch of isotope stuff. Right. And they found our tour dates and hit me with a five-year ban. So um, unfortunately, there's there's not even appeal. For, and not even an appeal process for
0: Man, that. Man, you got Steve Howd. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, but you are going to tour in Canada, right?
6: Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to just use it as an opportunity to tour Canada and, um, you know, micro-market our backyard, as they say. Uh, do, do a lot more out here and also uh, try to get over to somewhere like Japan, I think. Oh, is that's the a goal great that idea. All-
0: wow. That would be so cool, wouldn't it?
6: It would be awesome and it's it's something that probably would have been on the back burner if we were allowed to go in the states still if I was so you know it's an opportunity I think
0: it's weird how tough they are with that hey I don't know if you saw the um, a few months ago they announced that it's gonna uh, if if a us band wants to tour Canada it's like a certain amount of hundred dollars a head per show
6: there's yeah and there's I could talk about this I, I I've I've done a lot of shows in Canada as a promoter and brought a lot of American bands through there are um there are legal ways to do it that don't cost any money. Okay. Um, the the big uproar I think was that bar owners were the, the the cost of it in this in this new levy is being transferred from uh, from the bands themselves to the bar owners and the bar owners mostly are the ones who are putting up that stink. Uh, so I was kind of unsympathetic to that because I'm, I've been doing this thing for for free for bands coming through from the States for a number of years, and I've never had any problems with it. So I think it's just kind of a lack of education, and and people want to make something out of nothing. Where that's concerned, coming into Canada, it's like, uh, it's the easiest thing you could do. (laughs) I'll put it like that, coming into Canada legally as a band, if you just... You know, have someone working for you on the site who knows what they're talking about, knows what they're doing. So. And that's
0: why um, The Kaufman Show is your favorite show on TSN 690, everybody. You learn things when you listen to this show.
6: Yeah, you can just shoot me. I actually wrote uh, I wrote an essay. It's on my blog. It's my name. Uh, you can .com. You can Google it. And it's 10 easy steps to immigrate a band from a foreign band into Canada for free. If you're interested, check it out. You can read all about it. I put up, uh, it's kind of like a how-to for dummies type of thing. It's up there.
0: And you can also order the CD, the first four seasons, right now at theisotopes.bandcamp.com, right?
6: That's right. I uh, would love it if everyone, uh, you know, if you're into baseball and you're into punk rock, do do that. It's now widely available on uh, the most current the most current and up-to-date uh, form of media conveyance, compact disc. I don't know if you've heard of it yet. You got to get a CD <laughs> player for it, but... <laughs> They're pretty popular. Yeah, here it's and better than the eight track
0: that. I've got in my catalog. So. <laughs> yeah, that's
6: next for us, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, follow Evan on Twitter at The Isotopes. Go Topes as always. And uh, hope to see you in Montreal soon, my friend. Thanks so much for your time tonight.
6: Thank you very much, Gabe. Uh, good to talk to you again. Always. Uh, let's, go you, on, uh, <laughs> let's go out and
0: on, and Jay Farrar. Let's go out on, and me, and you. Let's go out on The Ballad of Ray Ardonez. This is The Isotopes on TSN 690.
5: to The Kauffman Show
1: with Dave Kauffman and Jay Farrar, only on TSN 690.
0: Welcome back to the Kauffman Show on TSN 690. Well done, Jimmy. <laughs> well done, Jimmy. You guys had some practice, I think. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll send that one out to uh, to Mr. Zarensic, who uh, keeps messing up. Keep it clean. Let's bring in our next guest. Our uh, next guest, uh, we reach in Seattle, Washington, where he writes for the Seattle Times. If you uh, have a good memory, you might remember him winning an NNA for the Montreal Gazette way back in the day. I'm telling you, the picture is still up. As you ride the escalator up at the Gazette on Peel and St. Catherine, there is a photo of a very young Jeff Baker with a very young Paul Wells, who now writes for McLean's. And uh, I think they must have co-won an NNA back in the 90s. Is that right, Jeff?
7: Yeah, that's right. It was a long, long time ago. I think Paul's gone on a much bigger and better thing at, at uh, where is he, McLean's Magazine now? He, he is at McLean's.
0: Like yeah, he's kind of the big political, uh, the big, the bigwig for politics right now.
7: Yeah, he was the bigwig way back when, when we uh, we went on a trip to New York together. I think it was my senior year of college at Concordia. He came with us. He, was, he had just started working for the Gazette, and we went, uh, him and, and our girlfriends at the time, went off to... Uh, New York City and had a a pretty good weekend with the rest of our department. It was was a a fun time back then. lot's changed since then.
0: I bet. And uh, whatever he's doing that's uh, big here right now, he wasn't the talk of Major League Baseball over the last 48 hours, that's for sure.
7: Yeah, well, he's in a much bigger arena than me. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, guess our story kind of hit home for a lot of people that uh, have followed the Seattle Mariners up close and and have actually worked for the Seattle Mariners. I think our story resonated a lot. Yeah, um, them because I think it's uh, it told them a lot of what they've seen with their own eyes.
0: That's right. And, I mean, the word dysfunction is used quite liberally in it. Um, it's crazy to think what kind of micromanagement is going on in Seattle and just how bad it is.
7: Well, I, you know, the one test that I use sometimes is, you know, I've heard this a lot the last 48 hours, is that, you know, this is the word of some disgruntled employees and obviously they're a little disgruntled because they're no longer working for the organization it's not like they left under really good terms um... you know it's their word against the word of the organization but then you know when i when i find myself in that position uh... well first of all i've talked a lot more people than just a handful of employees But, but second of all i would say just from the outside you look at the team's track record that's really what you have to do i mean this is a this is a baseball franchise that's now had three managers under the same general manager and this general manager's only been there five years. Wow. So, and they're all his guys. It's not like he inherited any of these guys coming in. This is going to be his third hand-picked manager. Um, you look at the organization, they've had now seven different managers since 2007. And they've had uh, two of them, uh, Mike Hargrove and um, and now Eric Wedge, who have walked away from the team. And if you count Luke Pinella, 10 years ago, that's three guys that have walked away from the team. Now they're not all under Jack Sorensen. But they are all under Howard Lincoln and Chuck Armstrong, the guys who've been running this franchise for most of the last uh, uh, 12 years or so, 15 years. Armstrong's been there almost 30. And so, you know, this isn't like some mass conspiracy that people suddenly woke up and invented one day. I mean, all the tells are there if you just bother to look. If you look at the franchise, you look at their their record, you look at their their pitiful performance on the field for all but about five years in the last uh, you know the last quarter century. Uh, and you look at the number of managers and coaching staff they have now recycled all under the same guys, you know, at some point, you got to think, hey, it's not all those other guys. It might be the guys in charge. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, when you have that to work off of, and then you actually start looking at what's really gone on, you start actually talking to people behind the scenes, Yeah, you know, it, it, it it doesn't take very long to find out what's been going on. I mean, that's why there's so many people, I think, that have stepped forward and actually nodded their heads in agreement around North America about this because they know what's gone on inside Seattle. It's just that nobody's actually had the courage to step forward and talk about it the way Eric Wedge and Tony Bongino of the Mariners have, and that, that's what's made a big difference.
0: We're uh, in conversation with Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. Follow him on Twitter at g baker GBakerMariners. Uh, and meanwhile, all this comes out just a few days after Cano signs a monster deal. How was that received in Seattle?
7: Well, you know, a few people have said, yeah, the, the timing is, uh, you know, interesting. I can tell you, you know, I wish I could just whip out a 3,000-word a feature, uh, you know, with, with all kinds of on-the-record quotes uh, <laughs> and investigation in a span of 24 hours. That's not how it works. It's no, well, oh, work. Jeff,
0: it's very obvious from watching your Twitter feed over the last few seasons that you've been working on this for a long time. You've been asking these questions for a long time and publicly.
7: Yeah, I started working on this, I would say, you know, really intensively about two months ago, and, you know, I... I really started to approach people within the last few weeks and you know it took time to get some people to go on the record i mean i'll tell you what eric wedge was not very well you know was not very uh eager to go on the record no of course he had left with his head somewhat held high. uh you know was trying to take the high road but i mean it, it just got to the point where so many people were telling me what had happened to him behind the scenes and and, and you know, when I'm asking him about this, he finally stepped. He finally said, "All right, this is it. I can't keep quiet anymore. I got to tell somebody the truth about what really happened here." Same deal with Tony blangino Same deal with Carmen Fusco. Same deal with, uh, you know, Bob Engel's people. Uh, you know, who ended up leaving the organization. Guys who worked, you know, for 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 25 years in baseball. They built up the Toronto Blue Jays international pipeline. Bob Engel, Patrick Guerrero. They went and did the same thing with Baltimore. then moved on to Seattle. And now they're uh, and now and, and you know they they they've had success. Now they're with the Los Angeles Dodgers. There's a reason to keep bouncing around and, and can find employment because people know they're the best in the game. And that's the thing about this this story. I mean, you've got people from all over, different di- different facets of the game. You've got an old school manager, sort of an old school, more you know respect the old rules guy like Eric Wedge. You have a, a new wave, modern age statistical analyst like Tony blingino You've got an international scouting guy like Bob Engel and you've got local scouting guys like Carmen Fiscillo, and they're all saying the same thing about the same organization. They're, they're, it's not like they got together in a club one day and cooked this thing up together. I mean, these people are coming at it from very, very different angles of the baseball world, but they're all united in what they're saying. And you know, as for the timing of Robinson Cano, I mean, the Mariners have have, have been reluctant to spend money, uh, any, any serious money. I would say, going back to 2008, they've deliberately kept their payrolls lower. Uh, they're not spending any more than they're taking in. And really, they're not taking in as much as they were before because attendance is way, way down. And so they've been stockpiling this money for years. And now, uh, you know, their popularity in Seattle is probably at an all time low. They're probably about the third or fourth most popular team in Seattle right now. And we're at the point where, you know, if this team doesn't do something in the next year or so, uh, you know, all, all bets are off. Who knows who'll still be around in a year. So they're trying desperately to win. And, yeah, I mean, they went out and threw a quarter billion dollars. They had Robinson Cano, and he took it. And so it's probably going to be an impact acquisition for the team. And now we'll just have to see if they can finish the job and surround the team with talent. Because right now this team does not have a whole lot of talent to complement it.
1: Jeff, that was – you kind of answered the question I was going to ask you. How how big has the public outcry been? Because I, if I know if the Montreal Canadiens – were involved in some kind of situation like that. There were people, there'd be people out in the street, and as you said, the attendance in Seattle has really, really declined. Looking- yeah, but I
0: think the Seahawks are the Habs in Seattle right now.
1: Yeah, I know, I know, but you know, the Mariners.
0: Well, I, know are about, Mariners. I, I wouldn't
7: go that far. I no? would, yeah I, I grew up with the Habs in the seventies. The, the Seahawks are nothing like the Habs. The Seahawks right. are a nice story. They're, they're, they might have a one, you know, one winning season if they don't blow it this year. So, um, is there, um, there a comparable? A way way then? The
0: is there a comparable then, Jeff? To the Habs? No, in...
7: no. There's nothing comparable. Not, in, not in Seattle. I've actually said this on my blog. I've written about it before. Um, yeah, you know, because people have tried to ask me about it and, and what it was like growing up in Montreal with, with hmm. a team, a team like the Canadiens, and I, I told them the truth. I mean, back back in the early '80s, if they lost three games in a row, everybody'd be talking about firing the coach. I mean, they fired Bob Berry. <laughs> we
2: still do. He it. had
7: like I think the third best record in the NHL three years in a row, but lost in the first round of the playoffs. That was it. Here in Seattle, they throw a parade. well that's what i'm saying and i'm not kidding i'm not trying to be suspicious that that's the truth it does not take a lot for the fan base to get happy here um it's not a very high pressure sports environment and that's part of the reason why this has been allowed to go on in seattle for such a long time Hmm. in that there's been very very little pressure on the front office of the mariners uh by the fans or or by the media quite frankly i mean this this ain't new york it's not philly and so the Mariners have had quite a free ride uh, for several seasons uh, since they really began their decline, which I would say was probably about 2004. Um, yeah. But they've declined miserably. I mean, they've been one of the worst teams in baseball since 2004, and it's not from lack of training. I mean, they, they you know they aren't spending a ton of money, but they are spending up near you know eighty, ninety, a hundred million dollars every year. But the teams are just so pathetically put together that they can't get out of their own way, and that's yeah, that, that's another problem altogether. So. It's a combination of all that, but right now the fans are about as fed up as I've ever seen them when it comes to the baseball team. And that's saying something, because Seattle is not Philadelphia. It's a very docile sports market. Uh, But I think even even here, where the fans are willing to be patient and willing to give teams the benefit of the doubt, uh, I I think they've still hit their breaking point.
0: Are you, uh, now that you moved into investigative reporting, are you no longer going to be at games on a daily basis?
7: I won't be there on a daily basis, no. But I'll still be there. I'm not going to hide
0: no, I'm just I'm thinking in terms of your, uh, your streak of not seeing a no hitter in all those years of covering baseball. Your, your odds just went even lower.
7: Yeah, it's pretty much, I'm pretty much toast <laughs> in that department. My no uh, hitter uh, odds are about a billion to one right now.
0: Mariners um, were involved in what, three last year, including perfect games?
7: Yeah, I, uh, that, that was in 2012. They oh, were okay. involved in three, and uh, <laughs> two of them were perfect games, and one was a combined no hitter, and I was away for all three of them. And I was actually in Japan at the beginning of 2012. I was watching the Japanese League opener between who uh, was playing? I think it was Yomiuri and uh, Tokyo. And uh, Tokyo had a um, Tokyo had a no hitter going until there were uh, I think one or two outs in the ninth inning, and that game ended. So that was about my last chance.
0: Yeah, the closest I came was uh, a Jeff Facero against the Pirates when you were probably still uh, writing a city copy at the Gazette.
7: Well, when I was at the Gazette in '94 uh I saw Pedro Martinez um, take a perfect game into the eighth inning, and then he hit Reggie Sanders, and Sanders charged the mound. I was there watching that game as a fan, <laughs> and then uh, he blew the no-hitter with, uh, I think, one out in the ninth inning of that game.
0: Uh, Jeff, always fun to talk baseball with you. Congrats on the story. It was fantastic, and uh, we'll see you in Montreal over the winter, hopefully.
7: Hey, great talking to you. Yeah, hopefully I'll get into town soon.
0: Good stuff. All the
7: best take
0: care Follow him on Twitter, G Baker Mariners. That's Jeff Baker. Our thanks, uh Jeff's always very good with his time for us, and we appreciate it. Remember, we had him in on studio last year.
1: Uh, yes, I remember it well.
0: That was a a lot of fun, uh, Jimmy. No, we're going to take a quick break, actually, uh, here on the Kaufman Show. I realize that uh, our listening audience only heard one half of that conversation, but Jimmy was in fact in my ear with the other. Literally, half. but you can you can just pretend with my response of "No, we're going to take a break." You can probably fill in the blanks of what he was saying. See, you learn things when you listen to the Kaufman Show. Like when I have a guest from Seattle, I like to play Seattle music. Man, I'm trying to figure out.
5: Dave Kaufman hosts The Kaufman Show with Dave Kaufman,
1: but also Jay Farrar. The Kaufman Show only on TSN 690.
8: I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies and I'm not proud of my address in the torn up town, no postcode envy, But every song's like gold teeth, gray goose tripping in the bathroom, blood stains, ball gowns trash in the hotel room. We don't care. We're driving Cadillacs in our dreams. But everybody's like crystal, Maybach, diamonds on your timepiece, jet planes, islands, tigers on a gold leash. We don't care. We aren't caught up in your love affair. And we'll never be.
0: Well, they say this might be the song of the year. I heard it for the first time today. Welcome back to The Kaufman Show, by the way. I've heard this. TSN 690, home of the Habs. And right now of Lord, 17-year-old New Zealand musician, and her song Royals. Which uh, is not about Queen Elizabeth. No.
1: It's about George Brett. It's not even about George Brett. She doesn't know who George Brett is.
0: It's more about George Brett than it is about Queen Elizabeth.
1: It's about a picture she saw once. The Royals... That's what it is. This
0: is from the Huffington Post, the uh, the veritable New York Times of the internet. The Royals, who Lord was singing about, however, were reportedly not those of the British monarchy variety. In a September interview with VH1, the singer explains, quote... I'd kind of been thinking about writing that song for a while. I've been pulling together a couple of little lines here and there and I had this image from National Geographic of this dude signing baseballs. He was a baseball player and his so shirt sa- and his shirt said Royals, Jay. So deep. I was like, I really like that word because I'm a big word fetishist. I'll pick a word and I'll pin an idea to that.
1: Move over Leonard Cohen. <laughs> we
8: crave a different kind of buzz. Let me be your ruler. ruler.
0: So uh, I think the last time we spoke to Torben about George Brett, it was about something totally different.
8: Yeah.
1: I still kind of feel sick when I think about it. What George Brett's farting video? You ever see that? <laughs> Have you ever seen George Brett's farting video? I didn't know it was farting. I thought it
0: was um I thought it was George Brett talking about hemorrhoids. Yeah. That was the yeah okay? But he
1: starts it with a fart. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like
0: then, all like all great things, yeah. right? <laughs> right. It starts it off with a bang. Let's bring in our next guest. We are running out of time here. My goodness, what I would give for a few extra minutes and uh, the ability to take some phone calls. Oh, let's bend the rules, maybe. Torben. Torben Rolfson. Torben okay. Rolfson, Merry Christmas.
9: Merry Christmas and uh, happy holidays, Jay and Dave. How you doing? I'm
0: great, man. I heard that you're at a Christmas party right now.
9: I am. I, I'm at a courtyard outside the Christmas party.
0: Oh, awesome.
9: I hope it's not too echoey.
0: Nope, no, it's just echoey enough.
9: Okay.
0: <laughs> How was your week, man?
9: Uh, it was good. Did you guys enjoy the game tonight?
0: We uh, absolutely did enjoy the game tonight. Um,
9: Monday Night Football, most successful TV show in the world, and there's no heat in the studio. <laughs> Gruden and Tarico—they're dressed like they're going caroling in the Himalayas. <laughs> what I, is that all about? <laughs>
0: I don't know. But Jimmy hope obviously girl. loved it. <laughs>
9: Oak Grove High School, which boasts Brett Favre as its offensive coordinator, won the Mississippi 6A state title. Favre has uh, scheduled a press conference for Tuesday as to whether or not he will return his coach. <laughs> and you see where Rob Ford says he opposes the Washington Redskins changing their name?
0: Yeah, on the sports junkies. <laughs> yeah, I
9: think soon teams will start changing their names so Rob Ford can't find them and attend their game.
0: <laughs> That's not a bad idea.
9: The Steelers uh, might have a draft pick. Uh, They might lose a draft pick, rather, in the Mike Tomlin punishment. Pittsburgh asked if it could be Landry Jones.
0: That sounds like a good plan.
9: (laughs) (laughs) I'm expecting a Tomlin bobble-feet doll any day now. Oh, that's good. He looked like he was doing a time warp out there. (laughs) Again? (laughs) Just a jump to the left. (laughs) What a viewing quandary last Thursday night. Uh, Texans' Jags or Knicks' Nets? The reason DVRs were invented.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs)
9: Meat guard Roger Mason and his family. They were robbed at gunpoint in a Miami restaurant. Worst crime victims in the NBA this season, other than Knicks season ticket holders.
0: I oh, <laughs> we're just we're, we're we are unloading on the Knicks on this show. Last week too, you were all Knicks crazy.
9: You can never stop racking on the Knicks. Fair I mean, enough. The NBA's Atlantic Division—it's so bad the Washington Generals would contend in it. Nice. <laughs> And I think Seattle moved ahead of Mexico City in the uh, list of NBA expansion cities after Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, I would imagine so.
9: (laughs) Spurs-T-Wolves game canceled due to smoke. Apparently, the arena had not been aired out from the Snoop Lion concert the night before. (laughs) I thought that stolen Cobalt-60 nuclear material had turned up in the arena.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) That That was relevant for like six hours, but nicely done. (laughs)
9: Uh, I've been keeping an eye on the crazy baseball stuff. I think if you made an all-star team of this off-season's MLB free agent signings, you'd have the biggest payroll in the game and miss the playoffs.
0: Probably, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty well, especially with Saltzalamachi as your catcher, right?
9: Exactly.
0: Although that didn't seem to I mean, I say that, but he did just win a World Series. So <laughs> Who knows? What do I know about sports, right?
9: Great news for Canadian soccer. They're not in the group of death.
0: <laughs> Huge. <laughs> yeah,
9: you're going to have to spend more than $11 million on a World Cup draw if you want Canada involved.
0: Probably, yeah.
9: We, I mean, we currently are to soccer what Brazil is to hockey.
0: Oh, my God. You're right. That's terrifying.
9: Which brings me to my last point. Uh, this next World Cup won't be the same without Vuvazelas. I'll have the audio on.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. meh. <laughs> You know, you know, Mandela's not dead a week. You got to pick on South Africa.
1: Wow, <laughs> you got. Wow, you got to pick on Torben. <laughs> what kind of an accusation is that? Torbin is insensitive to Nelson Mandela's demise. Terrible. I've seen the Mandela
2: jokes. I edited
1: out.
0: <laughs> oh, wow, Torben, thanks oh, a lot, wow. man. We really appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll thanks catch you a next have week. A great night. Enjoy your Christmas party.
9: Yeah, you
0: too. Thanks a lot. We will. Thank you very much. much.
9: Take care. Bye.
0: Follow Torben on Twitter at VanGuy. We always enjoy Torben's stuff. Jay, do we want to end the show or do we want to take some calls? Do we want to...
1: We have time. I don't know. We got we a few minutes. few minutes. Hey, listen.
0: You know what? We will give you, Montreal, the opportunity right now. 514 790 1690 1866 896 2546
1: Call and we'll talk to you. Don't. And it's Joel Plaskett. That's
0: right. Don't and we will end it. We can uh, go back to our conversation briefly, if you'd like, from before, um, just when we were talking about fighting and, and violence in hockey, if you think we can add anything to it. It's. I feel like it's kind of been beaten a bit into the ground in the last few days.
1: Well, I mean, it's the next major incident. We'll get you know two until of these the next a year. one. Until yeah. the next one, we'll get two of these major ones a year, two or three of them maybe. And well, we've had two this year, right? The debate rages on, even though these 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 situations are exactly that—they're situational. Every situation is different. It doesn't come down to one thing. It doesn't come down to fighting. It doesn't come down to headshots. It doesn't come down to concussions. It depends on the situation and what happened. You know. So, I mean, can you just, you know, start putting in some rules that'll that'll create an environment where these these kind of situations don't arise? No, there's not one single rule that's going to be able to eliminate these incidents. But let me ask you:
0: Why can't and by the way orpic was put on injured reserve today
1: yeah concussion
0: why is it that 20 seems to be the highest number we're hearing why isn't that why isn't that amount of assault equal to a a year suspension or a yeah. season
1: suspension i'm with you on that i'm totally with you on
3: that
0: and, stiffer, and yeah a yeah i know he, i know he has no past transgressions he's never been suspended before i don't care yeah, this is this is an incident that that if anybody wants to embarrass hockey, this is something they will use. Yeah, on BBC International when they talk about the folly of hockey, this is what they will show. The folly it, of hockey There's some ridiculous things going on in the National Hockey League. Silly, yeah, really, yeah. isn't That's it? Silly, silly gents. And no, but I mean seriously, the last time I saw hockey highlights on BBC was of a player.
1: Um, I think it was McSorley hitting Brashear. It actually. wasn't. It
0: was actually a couple of months ago. It was uh, after the Kaufman show, late one night, and um, I was like, "They're sh- they're doing like an international roundup of sports, and no, oh, let's go to hockey, and ice sh- hockey, right, right, ice hockey, exactly." And they show a guy pulling out his own tooth on the bench. <laughs> That was the highlight. No context. No, no like this no. is um, probably wasn't even the NHL. Jarrett stole. No, it yeah. was the NHL, oh, okay. and it was it was somebody. I can't <laughs> remember what team. I, I really can't remember. But it was like, oh, and look at this gent over here. And uh, they are just so tough, aren't they? And the guy pulls his own tooth out. And this is what they'll, they'll show. They're I not going to show you the the beautiful goal.
1: <laughs> I remember a report in two thousand one where they first discovered hockey. I'm sorry, say that one more time. (laughs) In North America, there is a sport making waves among the population. (laughs) Grown men with blades on the bottom of their feet with sticks (laughs) shoot a puck, as they call it, around. This was a 2001 report, and then they started uh, showing people digging their teeth out.
0: That's right. And
1: And then Theo
0: Fleury started playing for the Belfast Giants.
1: Yes, he did. And then the Belfast Giants folded. And then they started again. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We uh, we're gonna. (laughs) I'm a a Belfast Giants fan.
0: I see that apparently. Wow. Uh, We're gonna go to uh, Mike in Saint Leonard, and then we're gonna go to Joel Plaskett in Dartmouth, Halifax, and call it a night. Hello, Mike.
10: Hi, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? As always. Thank you. As well. Thank you. Uh, The NHL. um, I had the same idea as you did. I didn't understand why he was going after Orpik at all. I couldn't get the connection. I thought it was a clean hit. And I didn't understand what the point of it was. And then after, you know, he's looking over like the ref's shoulder, and then I realize after that's actually a friend of his, <laughs> uh, who he trains with in the off season. Um, but you know, it, it, it's more of a culture thing I think now than anything. Because as many of us, like myself and you and Jay, who think, like, well, this is not necessary. You know, earlier today I heard Chris Nylon. He's like, well, you know, you got to answer the call and this and that. Yeah,
0: but uh- I mean, consider the source, right?
10: Yeah, but you know what? It's- I mean,
0: Chris, what, what, and again, I, I like, I listened to Nylon with Melnick uh, mm-hmm. around 6.30 tonight, and I thought it was a fantastic segment. Nylon stuck to his side, and yeah. Mitch called him on everything that he thought that he deserved to be called on. Uh, but really, what else is Chris Nylon going to say? But he's
1: right, though. He's right. That Orpic should have fought. No, he's that 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 Thornen is answering the call. You have 20,000 screaming Bostonians in there. They're screaming for blood. That's yeah. what they want. What do you, what do you think the guy's going to do? He's paid to protect his teammates, so he's got to do what he's got to do. I mean, he's not really really into it. If he really wanted to go at Orpic, he could have done it a lot worse. Yeah, you know, he's kind of trying to tug him, and then like, all right, okay, now he's turning around. Now I'm going to hit him in the face a couple of times. You know, I don't think he meant to really give him a concussion and knock well, him out I, and, and slam and, his face. But into the you're hits. not
0: the 1st and you're now the third person actually that I've spoken with that says, "Oh, I don't think he meant to." I don't. How do any of us know what his intent is? Well, nobody. We're talking about how he's having having. having a crazy moment something tells me in that crazy moment he's not going oh i hope i just you know mess up (laughs) his makeup a little bit like no no if you're in the midst of that if you are in the throes if you will maybe not of passion but of something else there's no there is no um you know if you want to say there's no premeditation in this that, that it's a a second degree assault fine but it's still assault
10: so well, you know what, Dave, on the inside of the NHL, even when they interviewed some of the Montreal Canadiens today, you know what they're—what I heard was, what? he's a nice guy, I know I'm off the ice, sure. sure he didn't mean it. I mean, come on. I mean, if you got the 700 players who don't think that that was something absolutely crazy like assault, that's your problem. What, what I think and you think don't matter. We're not on the ice. Yeah,
0: but what happens in this world that we live in, Mike, we have uh, a situation where a Todd Bertuzzi, goes after a Steve Moore. Yeah. And then Steve Moore ends up being the one blackballed.
10: Exactly. Well that wasn't that wasn't it Orpik's fault? He didn't answer the call, that's right? That's right.
0: And that hey, that's what the C B C told us. <laughs> yes. That's exactly. what that's what Kevin Weeks and PJ Stock and Cassie Campbell Pascal and someone else, not Elliot. Yeah. Not
2: fourth, Elliot. I can't remember not. who the
0: who the other fourth was. But no, listened. that's what they said. And and PJ going, well if this happened in the streets well, no, this doesn't happen in the streets. Well, no, it's not supposed to happen in the streets. That's, that's a stupid
1: comparison. That's a dumb comparison. But you know what? I honestly feel what James Neal did to Brad Marshall is just as bad, or maybe worse. That's sure, sure. Yeah, I think. Well, you know what? But we're not I, talking about that today. Well, what we we're can talking argue about, about it because it's Sean Thornton. That's right. why we're talking. But about
0: what it. we can argue about the Neal uh, knee is that it was
1: way more premeditated.
10: Yeah, but, you know, five games is nothing. Five games is nothing.
1: Five games is a joke. That should have been twenty games. That should have been. Tw- he's kneeing a guy in the head, in the head purposely. Know? But I mean, with a pad, a knee pad, a yeah, solid. And plastic he's been knee pad. suspended before. And he's yeah, he's been dirty before.
10: Listen, if if the commissioner thinks it's okay, and that's what they want to do. That's the way it's going to continue. Five games That's is right. nothing. I don't know how much Thornton's going to get, but... But whatever
0: case, he gets, it's not going to be enough.
10: Not enough. It's no. Not enough. The other topic, too, that I wanted to make And sorry, just a oh, last sorry, point, sorry. is
0: that the Bruins can lose Thornton for 20 games. Yeah, they be okay.
1: Yeah, Yeah, they'll be fine. How like are the Bruce Penguins going to do if they lose Orpik for a quarter of the season? Yeah. And they've already lost Neil for five. Right.
0: So... Sorry, Mike, your your other point.
10: No, the other point I was going to make is about South Africa. And yeah. And that was great with Dave Zirin because... Even Jack Todd had posted a link last week after um, Mandela had died about even how Stephen Harper at one point was part of an organization that was pro-apartheid. Thank
0: you. That's where that came from. I yeah. was trying to. You know what? I have been talking about that all week long. Yeah. That that in the late 80s Harper had founded some organization and and I couldn't remember where I found the link. And yes, it was Jack Todd that tweeted it.
10: Yeah, neocons. They can't help themselves. You know, it's like apartheid. I'm on that boat. Like. I'm behind it 100%. Yeah, but
0: I don't think it's necessarily about, you know, um, race supremacy as much as business,
10: right? Yeah, well, you know... It's money, man. Business is business. Yeah, slavery is good for business, too. How how
0: else did America become as big and as strong as it is? Exactly, but
10: you know, the funny thing is how these guys have no shame at all. They're real politicians... Wait, now Jay, does go? the rest of the audience
0: listening know that Mike's black or no? <laughs>
10: <laughs> All these guys are get on a plane, go to South Africa and oh my god, I'm so sad that he's dead. Well meanwhile, twenty years ago you were like, keep him in jail, he's disgusting.
0: You know I mean The fact that John McCain voted to keep him in jail is the most is the craziest thing. The guy who was in jail himself
10: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, I know. Um <laughs> oh, yeah.
10: idiot. Wow. These guys are idiots. But you know, it just goes to show you you know, it'll never change. And, you know, the thing about South Africa, I mean, man, that, that is a... For me, it's always been hard to get my my, my head around it. I mean, it started in '48 officially. They finally were able to do what they wanted to do. And, you know, for many decades, they did really well. And it's only when the public kind of turned against it, and you played, like, uh, the clip from You 2 Yeah,
0: Silver and Gold. Turns. I'll tell you what, that's where I first heard about apartheid.
9: Exactly.
0: Was, was on that song. Like... I- Long before he's talking about Little Steven, an artist against apartheid. This was long before I listened to Springsteen, who I before I knew who Little Steven was.
10: And you know what? The thing is, when the time that they gave the power back, the pressure had mounted, economically it was starting to have an impact, uh, finally, because it's a wealthy country. But, you know, it's like giving the keys back while you already have the Ferrari. I mean, hmm. the 30% or less now of the minority of whites and Indians and those... Who can be considered quasi-white who had a little bit more rights basically own 90% of the wealth of the country so it's like here you go have the keys now it doesn't matter I mean the economic apartheid will continue for 100 years you can't reverse that
0: well is it I mean to an extent is it not still going on in the states
10: yeah exactly and they've been free for a lot longer 150 than
0: 150 years right
10: exactly I mean it's it, it's institutionalized now I mean you can't just turn it and say okay we're going to give you all the gold mining back. I mean, the money's been spent, the well's been made. Um, I knew a person from South Africa, a friend of ours, um, an older white woman, and um, at least with her, I could get get an understanding. And she was always very reserved about her life and her upbringing, but you know, she did grow up in a wealthy, and uh, she married a, a British man who they moved here to Canada after. And she did have servants, and so I kind of understand the other side of the story, and she was born in South Africa. And, you know, maybe if I was born in South Africa and grew up with servants, I wouldn't be in a hurry to get rid of apartheid either, you yeah. know?
0: Well, you know, those, those big mansions, uh, the plantations were brothel nice too, right?
10: Exactly, you know, I mean, at some point in time, I mean, it's not right, but it's the other side of the story. And that's the whole thing that I don't think we ever understand.
0: Yeah, I was happy that Dave briefly brought up uh, Shimon Peres.
10: And and it came out
0: uh, a couple of days ago that uh, this is going to be one of the largest state funerals in history, and uh, Netanyahu will not be there. It costs too much
1: money. (laughs) It costs too much money. That's what he said. Really? The plane ticket is too expensive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. We all know why he's not going.
0: Yeah, because he doesn't want to be put in a position where he's got to shake hands with the president of Iran.
1: I don't even think it's that.
0: No, cuz that was the big deal when the pope uh when Pope John Paul passed away. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was what? it was that um it, it, the president of Israel shook hands with the president of or with the um oh, was it not Khomeini? What's wrong with me? Katami? Uh, I don't know. This is, oh, I uh, saw, I'm, I've got my TSN hat on, not my CJD hat. Come on.
1: Uh, yeah, I saw um, I saw Jimmy Carter shake hands with Fidel Castro. Right on in, the steps right in front, at, front of me at, at Trudeau's funeral.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. These uh, have to get some... Castro the communist in his Armani suit looking
10: Looking good. He Fly. Good.
0: Looking dapper.
10: You just have to give the president of Israel the uh, Thornton tape there, slew foot, punch in the head, and you know, <laughs> you could do that at the funeral. <laughs> uh, I Fucking don't know, you know if that'll work. Jay, why don't you think he wants to go the president of Israel?
1: Uh... Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get. I don't know if this is the place <laughs> or the time. I don't wanna, I, try, everybody sorry. knows that Nelson Mandela was a staunch supporter of the Palestinian movement. He was, and yeah. and was, there's that. other reasons, and the whole idea that Shimon Peres sold arms. You know, right? To, you know, and but, and
0: there would be a certain hypocrisy in actually attending that funeral, uh, which we're going to yes. see from a lot of world leaders, Continue. including well, Robert Mugabe. A,
1: yeah.
10: yeah, at least he's not being a hypocrite. I got to give him
0: that. No, yeah. he's
1: not. No, no, he's not. But Mugabe
0: will be there, though. So fear not.
10: Oh my God! Hasn't no one shot him yet? No. Do no, I have to do still, this? No, no. Whoa! Whoa! No. <laughs>
0: No, hey, no, hey, no! 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 Conspiring on the Kaufman
1: God, show. What the hell's going on, Mike? Sure, Mike, Mike? Mike? No, no, I don't shoot anybody. I I shoot them down verbally. Okay. That's what I That's do. Right. I ridicule That's them. Right. That's you the know what? Meant. Jay's the lyrical assassin. This ninety thousand seat stadium, this stadium, this soccer stadium, where they're—it's the biggest stadium in Africa on the continent, where they're doing this funeral. And all these—this makes me nervous, man. Something's going to go down.
2: Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I'm man. telling
1: you. I, I, I don't trust think so. my gut. <laughs> no, I don't Something's think so. Something's gonna go wrong.
0: I think the way that you saw no petty crime in New York after nine eleven is the way that I bet you that the crime rate just drops for the week in yeah. South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a. This I is don't know. A, this is a big moment.
1: It's quick prep- preparations. I don't know. No, Ninety thousand people. These aren't
0: quick. Pep- he he died last week in the week. middle of
1: Johannesburg. I don't know. No. They <laughs> they have been planning this for years. Okay. This is not. This is not some. I'm just saying. I have a bad feeling. Great. I trust my gut. Great. Mike, thanks for
0: the call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not responsible
1: for anything that happened. Nothing at all. Right. Nothing
0: at all. You better stay in Montreal you know, and be
1: yeah. in touch next week. Now the CIA Sorry. is going to be listening in on us. Secret service. <laughs>
0: uh, thanks to Edward Snowden for calling in from uh, Moscow there. We appreciate it. Our uh, One of our favorites, Mike from St. Leonard. And I think that's going to wrap up tonight's Kaufman show. Hopefully we're allowed to go 10 minutes over. Nothing... Uh, Oh, the world's not over everything seems okay our thanks to Jimmy our thanks to John for the updates Jay Farrar follow him at the Farrar side on yeah. Twitter I'm at the Kaufman Show and our thanks to yeah. Jeff Baker our thanks to Dave Zirin our thanks to Torben Rolfson and our thanks to Evan Wandsboro. we'll see you all soon
11: stayed out too late had a little too much to drink walk home the bridge when the marquee shut down there's a reason that I love this town Nobody cares how much money you have, if you've got enough to get in a cab, there'll be drinks on the house if your house burns down, there's a reason that I love this town, I saw you back. shot the shit with miniature Tim. If he needs a tune, then I'll write one for him. We like the same books and we like the same sounds. There's a reason that I love this town. I played a show in Kelowna last year. Said, pick it up, Joel. We're dying in here. Picture one hand clapping, then picture half that sound. There's a reason that I Soup, some French restaurant. I saw Riviera de Lou. Last night at a tour, we burnt the place to the ground. There's a reason that I love
0: You've been listening to The Kaufman Show on TSN 690. For Jay Farrar, I'm Dave Kaufman. We'll see you next Monday night.
2: Hmm. I don't know. What that sound like?